0: to let us go into the house of the lord i'm pastor michael lilienthal and we are in a new church season beginning uh this week uh if uh if you listened to the last few episodes about the gesma season that's called the pre-lent season uh for septuagesma sexagesma and then quinquagesma or uh baptism of jesus uh now after the sun uh the wednesday after quinquagesma is ash wednesday uh which is uh the the Marker for the first day of Lent, 40 days of Lent begins there, uh, with Ash Wednesday. Uh, now we're going to be following a, um, a midweek series, uh, at our saviors that, uh, comes, uh, comes from, a Northwestern Publishing House. Uh, it's, it's called The Son of God Goes Forth to War, uh, and it starts there with Ash Wednesday, uh, also known as Midweek One, uh, of Lent, um uh, with, uh, the theme, the promised warrior. And it looks at, uh, how, how Christ the Lord is the warrior. Uh, but, uh, he, the war he fights, uh, it looks as though he loses. That's, that's kind of what Lent is about, uh, the suffering of Christ, the, the, the seeming defeat of Christ, uh, ultimately as it culminates in, uh, Good Friday and Holy Saturday as he rests in the tomb. Um, but, uh, I, I mentioned before that Lent is 40 days long, but not counting Sundays. I'm not going to talk too much about Ash Wednesday because that's part of this midweek series that we're going to talk about. It is its own separate festival, uh, but um, it's it's not uh, it's, it's more part of the, the midweek series. That's, that's kind of a Lutheran invention to have these midweek services during Lent. Um, and we'll have those at our Saviors uh, at 11 a.m. and at 7 p.m., uh, so there's options for those who want to come in the morning or in the evening. Um, and it starts there with, with Ash Wednesday and then every Wednesday all the way through uh, until the week after Palm Sunday, known as, as Holy Week. But the this whole idea of Lent being 40 days long, not counting Sundays, is, is very interesting. I, I'll talk about that in a second, but I want to read, uh, as I've done before, from uh, the Book of Family Prayer by uh, Bishop Lockie and what he has to say about Lent. He starts with a quotation from... Uh, Uh, Philippians 2, Christ has humbled himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, uh, which is itself uh, a uh, a liturgical sentence that replaces the Alleluia during some of the services. Uh, We'll we'll cover that uh, in a couple weeks as well, but here's what he says about Lent. The earliest Christians set aside days during which they prepared themselves to celebrate Easter, and it is Easter we are preparing for, not Good Friday. The purpose of Lent is to set before us our former captivity to sin, death, and the devil, and then to direct us to Jesus, who out of his great love for us rescues us from that, that captivity by his death and resurrection. Thus, during this season, we meditate on our sinfulness, but always with an eye toward Easter, where the empty tomb tells us that our salvation has been accomplished. So keep in mind that idea that we're always preparing for Easter. We're looking ahead to Easter here during Lent. And that's why the Sundays don't count in the 40 days of Lent. Sundays are Easter. As we're looking ahead to Easter, keeping keeping in mind our sinfulness and repenting of that sinfulness, we always have that Easter every week that we come to and see that tomb is empty. Every week we're reminded that that tomb is empty. Now, even though uh, those those Sundays are, are Easter themselves within the Lent season, uh, we we do tone things down. I want to read from another book here uh, by uh, Paul H. D. Lang, Ceremony and Celebration. Um, he, he says he says this. Uh, throughout the season of Lent, the following traditional customs may be observed: the Collect for Ash Wednesday is said after the Collect for the day in every service of the season. The Alleluia is omitted in all services. The Gloria and Excelsis is, om- is omitted except on festivals in Monday, Thursday, and the Benedictus replaces the Te Deum in Sunday matins. Um, so he he goes on with a, a few other um, more visual, practical changes that occur. But uh, that quieting of the Alleluia and the glory and Excelsis, that happens on Sundays, too, because even though those are Easter, we are still in the Lent season. And that's a key to understand here, too, that uh, these are Sundays in Lent, not Sundays of Lent, because they don't count in, in Lent. Um, they don't count in the, the days of Lent, which is 40 days long. And there's reason for that, too. 40 has a great deal of significance in Scripture. You can think of the, the 40 days and 40 nights uh, that rain came upon the earth for the flood. Uh, you can think of the 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness, which itself is tied to the 40 days that Jesus himself was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, uh, going without bread uh, uh, and just living in the wilderness uh, with, with no sustenance except for the word of God itself, which, which there, uh, that also kind of ties to the tradition in Lent of, of giving something up for Lent. Initially, that tradition, of course, began as a, a fast in Lent. You fast, you, you go without food for a, a period of time, and uh, just like Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Um, now, he had a, a fast that he went without any food at all for those 40 days. Um, if, if you would choose to fast during Lent, it would be more like you skip a meal, um, or, or, or more than one meal. And in place of that meal... This is the intent of that fast. In place of a meal, you have uh, devotion. You attend to the word of God. That's, that's more or less the, the purpose behind it, uh, tying to that wandering in the wilderness of Christ, that uh, he said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's, that's what we focus on in Lent. Our life doesn't come about from material things, but we focus on our sinfulness and God's grace, and that comes to us in the Word. All right, that's enough of an introduction to um, the season of Lent right now. We are going to be talking about the first Sunday in Lent, uh, so I'd like to to look at that. I'm going to begin first by actually reading the Collect for Ash Wednesday, uh, which is going to be said each each service uh, in Lent. Uh, this Collect of Ash Wednesday will, will be will be prayed. Um, all the time. So it'll, it'll become very familiar to people as we pray this, um, this, this collect each service. It's collect number 39 on page 152 in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing that you have made, and you forgive the sins of all those who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. Again, focusing on that penitence, that we should be penitent. We should we should have that attitude uh, of repentance. We worthily lament our sins, uh, seeing ourselves as as the sinners that we are. All right, I'm going to come back to, before reading the, the collect for the first Sunday uh, in Lent, but I want to look back at uh, the uh, introit. For Lent. Uh, and the intro at for Lent is as follows. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There, there's comfort right there uh, in in that first intro at in, in Lent here uh, that uh, that God answers, that God gives that answer to prayer when we call upon him. And that's what we're doing uh, that Ash Wednesday Collect itself had that that calling out um, that, that we repent, we lament uh, of our sins, but God answers and he does give us that clean heart. He does forgive our sins. Um, yeah, that intro, it comes from Psalm 91 uh, for, for inquiring minds. Uh, going back to the Collect for Lent 1. Now, um, Lent 1, uh, I, I should have mentioned with uh, with that intro it, that uh, Lent 1 is known as invocavit. Uh, which is the the Latin word for the first word in the um, in the intro itself? He shall call is invocavit. Uh, so it's it's the invocavit Sunday, uh, and that's something for, for Luther scholars to be aware of. There's a, a set of of hymns by Luther known as the invocavit sermons. Um, Did I say hymns? I meant sermons, if I said hymns. I don't remember. Anyway, the Invocavit sermons are are eight sermons that Luther preached upon his return to Wittenberg after his exile at the Wartburg Castle. Um, He came back in response to uh, reports about um, Karlstadt and uh, the uh, iconoclasts and and how they were mistreating the the priests and and other Christians around them. Um, And Luther preached these eight sermons, one each day, for invocavit uh, from Sunday until the next Sunday, uh, which is Lent to reminiscere. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. But invocavit he shall call is, is what that's called, and that's that's that goes back to a long tradition. We talked about this a little bit during Advent uh, about the Latin names for the Sundays. Um, it's extremely common to uh, uh, use the Latin names for Ad- Advent uh, and for Lent and for Easter. Uh, it doesn't get commonly used during the, the general season. Um, well, of course, we have those, uh, those Latin names for uh, the, the gesima season, but that's, that's a little bit different. Those names aren't derived from the introits, um, but uh, these ones are. And that, that goes back to the tradition that um, in, in worship services, the first word that people would have heard would have been from the introit. That introit itself means he enters um, or, or entering, that uh, as the people or the priest entered or the pastor entered for the service, um, this intro it was being sung. And so you title the service, much as books were frequently titled um, years and years ago by the first words. Um, that's how uh, the, the the books of the Old Testament uh, are are titled in uh, Hebrew tradition. Uh, Genesis, for instance, is called Bereshit in Hebrew um, because it means in the beginning, uh, the first words uh, in in that Genesis text, uh, so that's that's where Sundays get their names um, in in Latin from the first word of the intro, which historically would have been the first word spoken or sung during the service. Anyway, I want to look at the Collect for Invocavit for Lent One. It's Collect number forty on page one fifty two. O Lord, mercifully hear our prayer and stretch forth the right hand of your Majesty to defend us from all that rise up against us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. As we pray, mercifully hear our prayer. We know from the intro it, uh, that God does hear, that he will hear, uh, and he will give us that defense. And And stretch forth the right hand of your majesty to defend us from all that rise up against us. That itself feeds into uh, the theme for that uh, midweek Lent series I mentioned, the Son of God goes forth to war, um, that he is our, our warrior. And that, that gets to what the chief hymn for the, this Sunday is. Uh, the chief hymn is hymn number 250. A uh, Luther hymn that should be very familiar to, I think, all Lutherans. A mighty fortress is our god, a trusty shield and weapon. Right? Ein festeborg A Mighty Fortress. Uh, frequently in Lutheran circles, it's sung around uh, Reformation time, and I think that's very appropriate. Uh, it's a, it's an excellent Luther hymn, but it is specifically... Um, um, designated for Lent 1. Luther wrote it for the first Sunday in Lent. Um, so yes, that it will be our chief hymn for the day, uh, all four verses of Hymn 250. I- I've said before, you can't just sing verse 1 of Hymn 250 because uh, you leave it with Satan winning if you just sing verse 1. You get the cure uh, coming in verse 2, uh, how the victor comes to-, to win that victory. And we see that uh, coming through in that uh, that collect as well. All right, <clears throat> on to the lessons for the day. The uh, uh, epistle lesson for Lent 1 is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. As fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, at a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Look, now is the favorable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are giving no one a reason to stumble in any way so that our ministry will not be blamed. Rather, in every way we show ourselves to be God's ministers. In great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in difficulties, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights, in times of hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness on the right and on the left through glory and dishonor, through bad report and good report, treated as deceivers yet being honest, treated as unknown and yet being well known, as dying and yet look we live, as punished yet not put to death, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. I think this epistle lesson really does sum up the theme of the entire Lenten season, that uh, which is itself the theme of the theology of the cross, that we come in repentance, we come in humility, down in the dirt, but in that we also have that eye looking towards Easter, looking towards that empty tomb and the glory that comes with it. That's exactly what... Uh, Lent is all about uh, and what this text is getting at, too. We also get that uh, quotation from Isaiah 49 at the beginning. At a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. It's God answers. God answers that prayer. Uh, And this is going to tie to, when we get to the Old Testament lesson I mentioned previously, that now we're in the book of Exodus, Uh, looking at that bondage to sin as Israel was bound to Pharaoh, but also we see that rescue coming. We see that deliverance Uh, of God given to his people as he gives us that deliverance as well. Uh, And thematically, the Red Sea crossing is is tied to resurrection and Easter and and such all all anyway. But, um, yeah, so now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Now, 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 we're in the New Testament. That means, look, we're already heard. We're already saved. And that means whatever difficulties come upon us, whatever struggles we face... Uh, whatever persecutions attack us, we know we have the victory. We know that we can be uh, given security in Christ. We know that we're, we're protected. We know that we're saved. Um, so, yes, all right, that's the, the epistle lesson. I want to go on now to the gospel lesson, uh, which is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I've hinted already at what this this lesson is, um, but again, it gives the, the theme of the whole Lenten season, uh, drives, it, drives it just right home. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city. He placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not test the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, I will give you all of these things if you will bow down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and just then angels came and served him. This Lenten journey is forty days long, not including Sundays. And in these 40 days, we are facing the temptations of the devil, but also we're receiving the word of God. That's what this lesson should really highlight for us. We, we see very emphatically how Jesus turns away from Satan's temptations and grasps onto scripture, grasps onto God's word. And that's an example for us, besides the fact that he did that for us, uh, where we can't do it ourselves, but that's how we should view our Lenten journey now turn away from Satan's temptations grasp the word of God see that as where our true nourishment comes from that's where the practice of fasting has its great benefit um, it doesn't need to it doesn't need to be done I should say that it uh, fasting is not a commandment no one has to fast it should be done voluntarily if at all but when it is done well it should be done not to say look at me I'm fasting look how well I'm doing but instead, it should be done for your benefit so that you focus less on your food and instead focus on the true food of God's word and sacraments and what he provides to you that way. Um, so that's the, the gospel lesson. Now the Old Testament lesson, which is going to be from uh, the Old Testament lectionary once again, uh, for Lent 1 is from Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 31. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials had a change of heart concerning the people. They said, what have we done? We have let Israel go. They will not serve us any more." So Pharaoh prepared his chariot and took his troops with him. He also took 600 of the best chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites. The Israelites were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his charioteers, and his army caught up with them where they were camping by the sea beside Pi hahiroth which faces Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "'Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt?' Wasn't this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone! Let us serve the Egyptians! For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation from the Lord which he will perform for you today. For the Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must wait quietly. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to set out. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide the sea, so that the Israelites can go through the middle of the sea on dry ground. I myself will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they will go into the sea after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his entire army, through his chariots and his charioteers. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his charioteers. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It went between the Egyptian forces and the Israelite forces. The cloud was dark on one side, but it lit up the night on the other. Neither group approached the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all night long the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned the sea into dry land. The waters were divided." The Israelites went into the middle of the sea on dry ground. The waters were like a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his charioteers went after them into the middle of the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud. Then he confused the Egyptian forces. He jammed their chariot wheels, and they had difficulty driving them. The Egyptians said, We must flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters will come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their charioteers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal place. While the Egyptians were fleeing from it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the middle of the sea. The waters came back and covered the chariots and the charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh that went into the sea after the Israelites. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry land. And the waters were like a wall for them on their right and on their left. On that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the mighty hand which the Lord put into action against the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord, and believed in the Lord, and in Moses his servant. Another um, rather long text, but uh, it's not inappropriately long. Uh, we get this, this great historic text uh, of the crossing of the Red Sea. You're probably familiar with this if you've seen like uh, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston or uh, the Prince of Egypt, that uh, animated movie. Um, this is depicted with the crossing of the Red Sea. It's, it's a very familiar story. Most Sunday school children are, are familiar with this very intimately. Um, but uh, there, there's a great deal of, of meaning behind it. Israel had been purchased from Egypt. Israel had been saved. They, they were guaranteed by God the promised land, but now it looks as though they're going to fail. It looks as though they're going to die. They've got the sea on one hand and Pharaoh on the other. They're literally caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. Uh, so what what are they to do? They think they're going to die. Their, their reaction is to complain against Moses. Moses, of course, recognizes that they're complaining only because they're afraid, um, well, that would be a pattern for them later on though, too, that they would continue to complain against Moses and against God. Uh it's kind of um just a, a bit of humor for the 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 account of Israel wandering through the wilderness, how often they complain about things and how often uh God and Moses, you know, quiet them down and prove that their complaining has no place. It's just it's it's silly. Um but we should take an example of that for ourselves, that um as they complain, that's, that's human nature. Even when things are guaranteed for us, it's just natural for us to complain when things start to look as though they're not going right. We don't see the promise. We don't see uh, the, the good. We instead start focusing on that negative that we're, we're going through. It's, it's all too easy for us to react that way. But what God does for Israel here is perform this miracle, it's it's kind of funny the way God answers Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to set out. So, like, why did you stop in the first place? I, I told you, you'd be saved. Why did you stop? <laughs> of course, um, God knows why they stopped. The sea was in the way. But uh, the the point here is that they shouldn't have been worried in the first place. They should have known they could keep going. The promised land is waiting for them. Just, you know, you'll make it. You'll be fine. And he he proves that promise to be true uh, when he destroys Egypt, in the Red Sea. He washes them away as the people of Israel walk through safely. Another, it's a picture of baptism again, uh, something that we return to in our repentance every day. When we repent, when we confess our sins to God, we are returning to our baptism, returning to that time when the old Adam in us was drowned and the new man in Christ was raised to life. That, That is a guarantee for us. We return to that guarantee that we are saved. We are given that eternal life. It's ours. It is not going to be taken away from us. When we return in repentance, it's a a reminder to us that uh, God still extends his grace and still keeps that promise to save us that he gave us in our baptisms, uh, an account of his son's death and resurrection. And so what the people of Israel are, are encouraged to do here is to look back at the promises of God that happened on the Passover as they move forward now and even face this difficulty and this temptation. Uh, keep moving forward. Keep heading straight ahead uh, and, and receive that, that victory uh, over over these enemies and over all enemies. Uh, just as Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness, so Israel defeats Pharaoh in the wilderness here. And it's done not by their strength, but by God, by God's working uh, for Jesus through through the word very explicitly. Uh, and here again, it's through the word, but through uh, the prophet Moses, uh, that that victory is accomplished. All right, I, I want to highlight uh, how this service is going to go. Uh, we'll be following right one since it's the first Sunday of the month. Um, the whole thing, so including the the service of Holy Communion. The service uh, begins with the opening prayer. That's not going to change. And then the inter- entrance hymn and the intro it. We'll keep all that. Uh, we'll do the confession of sin here. And the Kyrie Eleison followed by the Absolution. Then the first change is we don't sing the Gloria and Excelsis Deo, just as we didn't sing it in, in Advent either. Uh, we instead go straight to the Salutation after the Absolution. Go to um, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. And then the pastor will pray, pray the uh, Collect. Congregation sings the Amen. Uh, we'll have uh, the Epistle Lesson. Uh, read, followed by a psalm, and I should look at uh, what psalm is designated for this Sunday and see if it is available after all. Uh, Yeah, it's the psalm from the intro, which is very uh, normal. Psalm 91, and that is available for us. Um, So we will do that. Psalm 91 um, is uh, on page 186. It goes according to tone three. Uh, So, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Um, so yes, it's 16 verses, but uh, for this uh, first Sunday in Lent, uh, I think that's very appropriate um, to have one that's maybe a little bit longer than than we might be used to. Um, but uh, yeah, it should be, should be fine. Uh, so Epistle Lesson, Psalm 91, then uh, the Gospel Lesson, followed by the Nicene Creed. After that comes the Chief Hymn, which will be 250. Uh, I'll choose the other hymns in a moment here. Uh, after that comes the prayer of the church. Now, uh, for the prayer of the church, there is one printed in the hymnary on pages forty-eight and forty-nine. Uh, it does mention that uh, other other forms of the prayer may be used, including the litany or the suffrages. Uh, we are going to use the litany uh, for our prayer uh, of the church, and that's on page one thirty-seven. Uh, and it's, it's a, a long responsive prayer that emphasizes Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy upon us. So very keyed into that penitential character of the, the season. Um, and then there are uh, uh, brief collects that follow at the end uh, of that prayer as well. So we'll be going through all of that. Um, so yeah, pages 137 through 139 the the litany. After that, the apostolic benediction comes. Uh, then we receive the offering, and we go then into the service of Holy Communion with the preface, the proper preface, uh, then the Sanctus, the exhortation, and Lord's Prayer, the words of institution, and Agnus Dei, the distribution with hymns there, uh, and the dismissal, followed by a hymn of thanks, the collect of Thanksgiving, benediction, closing hymn, and closing prayer. So the, there are only a couple of little changes here to write one. Um, especially, the big one is is uh, that that exclusion of. Uh, the Gloria and Excelsis Deo, uh, and then replacing the prayer of the church with the litany uh, in there. So I I mentioned one hymn that we're going to sing. The chief hymn is uh, Hymn 250. Uh, Then we got to look at uh, what other hymns we're going to to sing here. Uh, I want to look at uh, what Lent 1 hymns uh, are familiar to the congregation uh, so that we can sing some of the ones that that people know and it looks uh, as though there is one in particular that is an excellent hymn. Hymn number 252 is, I walk in danger all the way. Um, it's got six verses, so it's one that we can divide a little bit. Uh, and uh, oh, it's, it's just a, a perfect one. It talks about the danger of Satan, the, the danger of sin, the danger of death, but how we are protected by, uh, by angels that walk with us, uh, just as the angels ministered to Jesus in his temptation. Uh, we're protected by Jesus, and we are on our way to heaven. We have that guarantee. Um, so we might uh, conclude with with this divided uh, over the hymn of Thanksgiving and the closing hymn. So I'll we'll do 252, uh, one through three for the hymn of Thanksgiving, and then 252, uh, four through six for the closing hymn. What that does, dividing it that way, is we get the dangers, the first three verses, and then the the cures or the solutions, the last three verses. Uh, but having them so close together uh, will avoid, um, I think, any any worry that we're just leaving on a negative note uh, after the first three verses. Uh, so le- next we, we need an opening hymn, uh, and we need uh, a, uh, a distribution hymn. For the opening hymn, um, let me see here. Ver- uh, hymn number one is going to be a great one for this. Um, it... Uh, it concludes with this, uh, this bit. Him uh, hymn one is Blessed Jesus at Thy Word. Blessed Jesus at Thy Word, we are gathered all to hear Thee. Emphasizing, we're hearing the Word of Christ. Uh, then the last verse ends. While we here below must wander, till we sing Thy praises yonder. So that wandering uh, on our way, heavenward once again, that, uh, that gets uh, emphasized in there. For the communion hymn, there there are so many excellent options um, for uh, our communion hymn. Um, I think uh, a very appropriate one for this beginning uh, of the Lenten season is going to be hymn uh, 316, which is tied with 317. um, Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior. Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior. Turn away God's wrath forever. By his bitter grief and woe, he saved us from the evil foe. Um, Gets across that idea of the the combat and the evil foe, Satan, once again, which is uh, um, depicted also by Pharaoh and his armies, uh, that salvation from that that evil foe. But it highlights the passion of Christ, uh, and it highlights that... uh, we receive uh, a balm uh, in in this this sacrament as well. So there we have it. Uh, that's going to be our distribution hymn, and that ties off the end uh, of uh, the sermon plan for, or the service plan for this uh, first Sunday in Lent. Uh, Lent, like I said, is one of my favorite seasons. Um, it's it's so clear with law and gospel, the, the law emphasizing our sin. We focus on our sin. Uh, Paul says that in uh, 1 Corinthians 2. If we Judge ourselves; we will not be judged. So focus on our sin and confess those sins, as uh, John says in his first epistle. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So when we when we acknowledge our sins uh, and and recognize them very clearly to ourselves uh, and confess them in the service, uh, we are absolutely assured by that beautiful grace of God's forgiveness in Christ. Uh, this season, I also like to uh, highlight and um, emphasize for people that uh, I offer times for, for private confession and absolution. I'm going to make sure to have um, time on uh, Fridays and Saturdays, Wednesdays too, um, during those, um, those special services, available for people to come uh, to privately confess to me. And that doesn't mean that they, they list their, the sins that they, they've committed uh, that doesn't mean that they come and, and, and tell me everything that they've done wrong, everything that's, that's burdening their conscience. Of course, they can tell me whatever they want, but especially what I mean by this private confession and absolution. Uh, there's a service for that on page 129 in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary, uh, called just the Service of Private Confession and Absolution. Um, and I'm going to read just the, uh, the beginning portion in italics that gives the, the rubric. It says, It is of great importance that the pastor should have personal knowledge of those whom he admits to the Lord's Supper. And to this end, should inquire into the spiritual condition of each member of his flock, that he may instruct and encourage them according to need. Christians who desire to grow in knowledge and grace should use this privilege to meet personally and privately with him who is called and appointed to watch for their souls, that the great consolation afforded by the word of God may be ministered to them individually. Private absolution is a service provided by the Church for such personal and individual ministration of the gospel. The absolution is to be offered to those who are in the communion of the church as often as they requested. The ministration of absolution is especially appropriate to such as are ill or near death. The individual desiring absolution may use his or her own words, the words in the following order, the order for confession and absolution in the catechism, or any other suitable words. Uh, and then it does give an, an order for uh, confession. And this is one of the only um, services that is initiated by the congregation. Usually the pastor says the first words, or sings the first words, and the congregation responds. But here, uh, the member of the congregation begins by saying, I confess to you, uh, and the pastor gives uh, forgiveness, declares, I forgive you, I absolve you, and free you from all your sins. Uh, oh, this is this is such a strong and powerful service. Uh, every time I've, I've offered this and been able to uh, administer this service to people, um, it, it really drives home the personal nature of forgiveness you can think you can talk about christ dying on the cross for the sins uh, of the world all the time but it's really easy to gloss over the fact that that's for you I'm speaking to you right now your sins are forgiven in christ uh and through this this service of private confession and absolution um it it really does drive that home that you are forgiven and what a powerful and moving thing that is so that's, uh, that's all for this week. You can find uh, information about the show and contact it at uh, tapestryradioorg slash lordshouse. Uh, you can find uh, our church's website, oursaviorsels.com, and you can find me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. So until we meet again, peace be within you.